Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Fantastic to be with you. And today's a second part uh, of a little series on two parts called Breaking Racial and Cultural Barriers in Your Church or Community. Breaking Cultural and Racial Barriers in Your Church or Community. Last uh, week, I invited people to send in questions. I got quite a few. I'll, I'll try to answer a few of them as we go along. But one of them had to do with, uh, you know, my church is in a monocultural uh, community. So therefore, we're one culture, you know, one race in our particular church. Does this apply to us? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, we live in a globalized uh, environment uh, because of globalization, technology, uh, communications. Uh, we are all exposed to vast differences across race, culture, ethnicities, uh, almost on a daily basis. And so this will apply to every uh, Christ follower uh, in the world uh, as we seek to, in the name of Jesus, bridge racial, cultural, economic, and even gender barriers. So remember, in the and, and, I, and the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I believe that EH discipleship has a particular contribution to make to this wider discussion. By no means is it the last word, but it is a particular contribution which we have seen fleshed out over uh, you know a very decades here at uh, New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York, and it's been very powerful and significant. So that's what I really want to offer you today. But let me just give some introductory comments here before I dive into it. Uh, that racism and prejudice division. Uh, was a major issue in the Roman Empire in the first century. And the gospel melted down barriers that had been there for centuries between peoples. And the first Christians saw themselves very much as a part of a worldwide, multiracial, multicultural family that transcended all national, social, racial, and economic barriers. And one of the tasks that the church understood for themselves uh, in that first century was to break down these walls of hostility and hatred through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus that has destroyed the barrier that separates people and that Jesus has created a new people, a new race, a new society called Christian. And uh, so, as I shared last week, early on in my Christian life, very early on as I came to Christ, uh, I was plunged into uh, the racial issues, in particular uh, here in the United States, uh, with Latinos, African Americans, and whites, and then Asians, uh, and so it was that which got me on a journey uh, quite a long time ago. Got me out of my own skin, and have now spent uh, almost forty years thinking, praying, and learning about this very large, complex topic, and uh, both outside the church and inside the church. So, just again, to give you a little bit of a scope of of, of the magnitude of the problem, we can go to. India, where National Geographic a few years ago had an article about one of every six persons is still considered untouchable, uh, lowest castes, and uh, an article was there about you know two young untouchable boys that dared fish in a pond that was used by upper caste uh, villagers, and they were uh, doused with acid and disfigured for life. And we can go to how Native Americans were treated, both in the United States and Canada, uh, just a couple of generations ago and forced to attend government schools and what that did to uh, Native American children over the years, uh, to the Azusa Street uh, revival in 1906, which was one of the most powerful events in church history. Uh, that Pentecost birthed millions of charismatics and Pentecostals around the world, uh, which to this day all, you know, will point back to Azusa Street as a pivotal moment. But that pouring out, which took place in Los Angeles, was was incredible in 1906. It was led by an African-American preacher named William Seymour, who was actually the son of a slave. And uh, people came from every race uh, to Los Angeles, to those meetings, Latinos, Native Americans, whites, African-Americans, Asians, people came from all over the world. 
And during its initial two years, meetings went on from morning to midnight every single day. And it was said that the, the greatest sign of the Spirit's work uh, was love expressed, uh, especially as expressed across racial and ethnic lines. It was actually, it was, an, it was incredible. The Holy Spirit had come in such force that it melted the barriers. However, what many people do not know is uh, what uh, crushed or split the revival was when a leading white pastor, his name was Charles Parham, uh, came in and, and saw the mixing, quote, uh, of races and called it this mixing of races, the great sin of America, and he couldn't bear it. And divisions came in and denominations actually were formed out of that, divided by color. It was a great, great tragedy. And so again, we see the, impl the implications of uh, when division gets in, uh, which is always a manifestation of sin, the implications of it. Even Rwanda, I'd done quite a bit of study on Rwanda, which was 90% Christian in 1994, at least superficially Christian, uh, when that great genocide took place, in which 800,000 people were killed in a 100-day period, uh, where everyone in the Hutu majority was to murder everyone in the Tutsi minority. What was so fascinating about that, uh, or so incredible about it, and why studies were done on it, was that 90% claimed to be Christian at that time, and yet uh, this genocide took place in that environment. And again, we shouldn't be that surprised, and some of the studies showed that of just it was a, there was a level of superficial Christianity, not a lot of serious discipleship, and uh, that's why this podcast is important. So we've got a worldwide problem. And uh, a great book that was written on this, and uh, which I recommend to you if you're quite serious about the issue, is by Miroslav Volf, uh, a Yale theologian. It's called Exclusion and Embrace. Exclusion and Embrace. And uh, he talks about uh, his background. Was He was writing in the context of the uh, genocide in Bosnia. Uh, he's Croatian himself in the middle of the Yugoslav split up, being split up in the 90s and watching that fracturing take place. And so he writes about how when we don't have a center in Christ, we bolster our, our sense of identity, our feeling of accept, acceptability. We get our sense of self by excluding other people. And he talks about we either eliminate them, assimilate them, abandon them, or become indifferent. And uh, how that uh, is, how it's been dealt with through history and scripture. It's a fascinating book. Uh, you know, it's quite interesting. So again, yet scripture uh, lays out for us in the book of Revelation at the end of history, all the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the throne room of God. There will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language before the throne of the Lamb because we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. So there, there, is, a, there is a future for us coming together uh, under the blood of Christ that uh, is part of our following of Jesus, I believe, for every believer in the world. So again, what's the contribution then of emotionally healthy discipleship? And last week I talked about uh, really two and a half, three of them. Uh, one intense passion for Jesus, uh, that the radical edge of a slow down spirituality, the call of everyone to a radical walk with Jesus is number one. When, and uh, in our case, it's a, it's a monastic, radical, desert spirituality with Jesus that we're going to get cleansed of the idols in the culture and in our hearts so we can follow Jesus. Go to your cell, your cell will teach you everything. And that there's a uh, a radicalness, I, I believe, that is necessary to Jesus uh, for the, if we're going to be involved in this, for everyone involved because of the uh, warfare and implications of what we're getting involved in. Number two, the second contribution of EH discipleship is utilizing uh, of genograms, going back to go forward. Uh, that theology that we've got to go back to go forward and looking at our families going back three to four generations uh, is critical if we're going to be transformed 
and uh, in Jesus. And we're going to come to self-awareness. And so not just on a personal level, looking at our families of origin, but looking at our cultures, uh, our particular ethnicity, our countries, uh, our, our denominations and churches. Um, again, whether you're looking at the history of Native Americans in North America or African Americans of 400 years of slavery, uh, every church in the world, every country has got a genogram. And uh, uh, church history is important. And genograms give us an opportunity to, to get beneath the surface in people's lives, to root out uh, those attitudes and prejudices that do not belong in the new family of Jesus. Uh, and uh, it's a powerful tool and I would say essential one, a kind of discipleship that does that in a serious way if we're going to have the kind of discussions needed to go forward and bridge barriers. The third is a, a contribution is that we value brokenness and vulnerability, uh, a high value of brokenness and vulnerability. In fact, to even come to the table and be a part of these discussions is an embracing of an identity that's secure in Jesus so I'm not looking to bolster myself over and against other people, uh, a false self. I'm not easily triggered. I'm not highly reactive. And, uh, you know, Paul models that obviously for us. So does David, where, uh, you know, he commits murder and adultery and he writes Psalm 51 uh, about it, that God delights not in burnt offerings and sacrifices, but in a broken and contrite heart. And uh, so that, 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 that brokenness and vulnerability kind of character so that my is, is essential if we're going to be able to have these very difficult discussions. And in the early years, we used to have, uh, again, high-level discussions, whether it was both Chinese and Koreans and uh, Japanese and, and African-Americans and every country of Latin America and then West Indians. And I mean, it was just you know, whites. And I mean, we were the high-level discussions of, and, 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 and panels. And uh, But we realized there wasn't a requirement for everyone who's going to be in leadership on these issues uh, of having done their own inner work uh, with Jesus and themselves so that they could be at a table and could distinguish, oh, is this my family of origin issue or is this Jesus and uh, or is this really a, uh, an issue regarding the culture? And because again, it's, it's, it's complicated. And, uh, and if you're building a monument to yourself, which is what happened in Saul in First Samuel 15, uh, you're, you're dangerous. And like we can't sort out what's Jesus and, and what's you. And so the, the, the sorting out of a false self, of getting my identity in what people think of me or in my position or my power or my knowledge, uh, that, that being, in a sense, uh, stripped so that I'm really finding my sense of self in Jesus alone. Uh, and uh, it is foundational and that uh, I'm, I'm broken. I'm not comparing myself to people. Uh, I'm not afraid to be criticized. I don't get defensive and offended. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not so afraid of looking foolish maybe in a social situation or weak. Uh, I'm willing to take a risk uh, even if I fail. And uh, I'm okay if people get upset with me sometimes and I'm not looking to cover over my, cover over my feelings of inadequacy so I can enter in there with a sense of vulnerability and brokenness. Uh, is key. And I think that becoming a high value is essential if we're going to get engaged seriously as, as communities in bridging racial, cultural, economic barriers. Remember, we're dealing with powers and principalities uh, that are that have been around for a very long time. I mean, you think about something like, let's just take you know, racism in the United States. Uh, I mean, we're talking about powers and principalities. We're talking about internationally wars and hatreds and something gets unleashed around the other, talking about other people, that uh, it, it's beyond the human, it's beyond rational. 
And that's why it's so critical that we have a deep spirituality. And uh, just, you know, in our history, uh, there came a time where we did finally say that for the people who are going to be giving leadership from different uh, races and ethnic groups and cultural groups, that they were going to have the character needed uh, to be able to stand in, in public and, and have these high-level discussions in front of uh, several hundred people. And that was a turning point for us uh, because uh, they were so self-aware, it made it safe you know, for other people. So you've got intense passion for Jesus, genograms uh, for self-awareness, uh, valuing brokenness and vulnerability. But the fourth was a very, we created intentionally a new language and a new culture as the new family of Jesus. Uh, this was indispensable and it continues to be so. And this came out of uh, a very clean theology, which was that we're the new family of Jesus. When you come to Christ, our first identity is Jesus and we're under him. Uh, and that the most important quality of, of, of mature, maturity is our ability to love. That I'm approachable, I'm soft, I'm humble, and that loving God and loving people can't be separated. And so uh, there are many smart people and gifted people who know history and uh, can articulate all kinds of uh you know, reconciliation issues with great eloquence and you know, ability, uh, but uh, they're not necessarily soft and, and approachable and humble and broken and safe uh, for others. And that's a problem. And so we very intentionally created a new language and skills to create a new culture as the new family of Jesus. And that language of we're the new family of Jesus became very important. We're under Christ. And, uh, and again, if I can't bond with my neighbor who may be the same color skin I am, uh, someone I've been with my whole life, how am I going to bond with someone from the other side of the world? Uh, again, this is a massive discipleship issue. And so uh, we like to say new skills. We created some skills, and that's part of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. New skills plus a new language plus intentional reinforcement equals a transformed community. And what, I'll, I'll say that again because it's so important. We developed we develop some simple skills, and I'll explain them in just a moment, with some new language. Uh, and we intentionally reinforce them as a community, uh, and it really did bring transformation uh, of the whole community and, and, and propelled us forward. I, I, I can't tell you the, the significance that it had in our ability to have great conversations and, and move forward to be a, a church with 75 different nations uh, in it. And so the skills included things such as uh, the community temperature reading, uh, the ability to make a, a simple complaint, uh, for example, or express I'm puzzled, not so quickly ju jump to a judgment, to things called stop mind reading and clarifying expectations and other two other skills and genogram your family. I mentioned that already, another skill. Explore the iceberg. We taught people how to speak clearly, respectfully, and honestly as a discipleship issue uh, and how to listen, you know, like Jesus. This became, these became skills that became part of the community. Uh, how, to, how to climb a ladder of integrity. How do I get at my values without uh, going after you without blaming you. What are, and, and, to, and how do I excavate that value within myself? Then how do I resolve conflict in a clean, mature way? And uh, it's actually eight skills that build on each other and now is part of what we call the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, which is part of EH Discipleship. And, and uh, they, they build so that we can have these very, uh, in a sense, highly charged conversations uh, of, of that would potentially be very much loaded with conflict and have a language, shared language, to enable us to have those conversations. I'll be honest, I can't even imagine uh, attempting to do this without a serious discipleship that disciple people in relationships. 
And um, I, I just can't imagine. I, I did it. Um, and it's extremely difficult. We did it for how oh, many years? I guess about eight, nine years um, at New Life Fellowship before we actually built this in. And um, it was problematical. I can say we had lots of uh, lots of little fires to put out. And um, even though I lived in Costa Rica for a year and spent another year fully in an all-Spanish-speaking environment here in New York City, so I incarnated, I'd left the United States, I'd moved to Central America, Jerry and I, and uh, for a year. What's interesting is I incarnated by moving to Costa Rica, a whole different language, culture, food, but yet I couldn't incarnate, enter the world of my spouse. Uh, so here I was trying to live it out across a culture, but I couldn't do it in my marriage uh, of a person from the same country and basically culture as myself. And so there was such a limit, such a such a limit or narrowness to my ability to enter somebody's world. I didn't have the skills, didn't have the language. And that's why if you're a leader listening to this, this is the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast, uh, I don't know how to say it. You must master some skills. And uh, these took us 21 years to learn. Please go to our website. Learn At least do the, there's a free sample of the first one called the Community Temperature Reading. And uh, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash launch. And uh, you'll see where you can get the whole you know course kit and training. Uh, and maybe you're ready for that. Maybe you're not. But regardless, you can download a, a free sample of one of the emotionally healthy relationship skills. And let me encourage you to do that. Um, and again, the implications of this are vast because we're building a theology uh, around Jesus and as the new family of Jesus and the new community of Jesus while showing great respect and honor and of the riches of every culture and race uh, and ethnicity around the world, at the same time recognizing we're part of something even uh, larger than that, this, this multi nature colored bride of Jesus where we're part of where his bride we're his new family we're his sons and daughters and uh, it's uh, uh, you know and we're under him and so this shared language enables us to go places we could never go otherwise so that creating a new culture a new and a new language as a new family of Jesus was is a key element I believe one of the greatest contributions that we uh, can make to this whole uh, discussion but there's a fifth and, and it's simply this that embracing grief and loss as God's means to enlarge our hearts. In other words, that God's, that we embrace grief and loss as a, as a core discipleship theology as one of the ways that God grows us and matures us and enlarges our, our hearts. Let me tell you a little story that illustrates this. I, I um, uh, an African-American friend of mine and who lived in Harlem and uh, for his whole life, uh, New York, and he was in our church. And then there was a... Um, uh, a fellow from, you know, suburban area who had moved into uh, Queens and was part of our church, and uh, he was really angry at this white guy um, because um, he was so insensitive. He, he had, I guess, my, my friend, his name was Johnny, shared his heart with this guy, and and he was like stoic. The white guy was like, he just didn't get it, you know, and. And uh, so John came to me, he's all angry, ah, this guy, ah, da, 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 he's such a racist and blah, blah, he doesn't feel anything, he could care less. And, and I said to him, I said, listen, I said, I, I know, you know, he couldn't enter your world of what it's like to grow up black in America, what it's like to walk into a department store and be followed and, and, and the, the school systems that are police and what it's been like for you at this point, he was in his late 30s, to live for decades, you know, in this reality and, and 
he couldn't enter your world. He, and I said, but do you understand he's married, his wife, he can't enter her world either. He, 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 in fact, he doesn't do feelings at all. He doesn't feel, uh, he, he's so shut down emotionally. It, it's, it's not even about you personally, it's, it's him in general. He doesn't, he doesn't do sadness. He doesn't do grief, he doesn't do loss. And so he sure can't enter yours. Uh, and um, it, it was a very key moment for him. I said, do you understand that, that he's got some larger discipleship issues to get a hold of here? Um, and, you know, again, there's a whole biblical theology of grief and loss. Two-thirds of the Psalms are grief. So we have a whole book called Lamentations. Uh, the whole book of Job is a struggle with grief. Jesus was called man of sorrows. Um, but yet, so many folks don't do grief and loss. And you can't talk about that the struggle of reconciliation and getting this kind of a large issue on a personal, on a national, on an international level, if you can't grieve your own losses. And I love what Henry Nowen said many years ago, that the degree to which you can grieve your own losses is the degree to which you are a compassionate person. Uh, the degree to which you are can grieve your own losses is the degree to which you are a compassionate person. And isn't a, you know, Western culture is bigger, better, faster. You know, we, 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 we jump over our losses, we medicate ourselves from them, we, uh, you know, we just want, we want to avoid them at all costs, minimize them, suppress them. But yet the scriptures gives a huge theology for loss. I mean, when Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle, David stops the troops and says, we're going to, he writes a lament and he, he, he teaches them, he leads them in a lament to God. And so a, a core theology that's part of EH discipleship is, is grief and loss as part of the way that we mature as human beings. And, and again, every family and culture has a way of dealing with it, but the challenge is to do it biblically. And um, this, this needs to become part of a church's core discipleship because it's so much a part of reconciliation because of pain and uh, being able to actually enter people's world and feel it. And then finally, uh, the last contribution that I, or final, I think it's a significant contribution that uh, emotionally the discipleship makes to the whole challenge of uh, race and culture is is the priority on incarnational presence and love. It's the it's the prioritization of incarnational presence and love. Uh, now listen, our culture is so distracted. Uh, I mean, we're all distracted for everything from you know social media and folks don't people don't look in each other in the eye when they talk. And so part of our discipleship is that the core of being a Jesus follower is that I'm actually like, I'm, I'm present with people. I enter their world and that this is the most important thing I do as a follower of Jesus is I, I can look at people in the eye and, and what I want to say to them without even my words is you're beautiful and you're valuable, uh, made in the image of God. You're a thou, not an it. If you're familiar with the I, thou, I, it of Martin Buber, that great Hasidic theologian. And that I don't treat people as objects to help me get to where I'm going. I don't generalize, you know, all those Italian-Americans, all those Puerto Ricans, you know, all those Native Americans. I, I, I see an individual. I see a person, a sacred person made in the image of God. And when, when we do have an encounter with a, an I, thou, as Martin Buber wrote, it becomes sacred space. Um, something holy happens. You know, we did a training just a couple of weeks ago for um, our table leaders for one, one of our courses and we, in that uh, training, we did the incarnational listening skill. And because we wanted people, again, to just get in deeper and just uh, seeing other, another person as a thou and actually entering their world and, and listening deeply, being present. 
And it was just so powerful because I, everyone had done that before, done the skill before multiple times. But it was just, we know that something holy happens. And Martin Buber's argument was that when you, when two people are together in a vow, they're really seeing each other as made in the image of God. It's like Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. He goes, God comes into that space and it's, it's holy. It's almost mysterious. It's like a, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's holy. It's something powerful happens. And, and so the priority of discipleship, of maturity uh, being defined as love and presence is an enormous leap for most uh, churches, most communities, because we tend to prioritize really power, gifts, other th all kinds of other things. And uh, it really was a game changer for us. So again, let, let me let me encourage on a very practical level. Like I got asked about some, you know, some some practical you know issues here. You want to examine your attitudes about different races and social classes, even and ethnicities. Your had your family of origin handle it, and and uh, let's not make believe that deep wounds of history don't exist. They they do exist, uh, and, but it's very much in the heart of God that the blood of Jesus has brought uh, the dividing walls down and that Jesus very much is passionate for us coming to him, coming to the Father through Jesus and actually coming together with others in, in, in his love. And we want to also research and reflect and know the gifts of our culture. You each come from a culture and uh, you bring something unique to the new family of Jesus and you want to explore that, whether it's uh, Arab hospitality or you know transcendence or mysticism of Eastern Europe or deep spirituality of Native Americans and uh, you know, but everyone from every people, every nation provide a hope and a gift to the larger world. And you want to know what that is. And you want to be constantly learning and uh, not taking stereotypes and assumptions as this is it. You know, read books, study movies. Uh, I think we have a responsibility to learn. We, we don't live in a, you know, in a monocultural world. We have a very big world. And uh, you're taking initiative and you're watching movies that are about people different than you and, and learning. You know, one of the questions I got during the week was, from a person saying, you know, I work in a cross-cultural situation um, and uh, most of our Anglo members, she writes, have a more egalitarian value and our Spanish-speaking members have a more hierarchical culture. And, uh, and she goes, we're not confident that our Spanish-speaking members will say no to us uh, despite our efforts to encourage that because of how they see folks in authority. What practical examples can you give us in navigating these two different cultural values? That's one very specific question. And, and it's interesting. I founded, because I, there's a, uh, a New Life Fellowship in Spanish. I actually founded it for its first, I don't know how many years of life, seven years. Um, and now it's, you know, it's after that it launched off on its own and it's quite, you know, it's a thousand people. And, uh, but I'm like their founder. I'm like, I'm like the Apostle Paul of them, and you know, I have such power because I because of that, and and uh, I'm just very aware of it. Uh, and so the issue you're talking about is how do you how do you navigate power? How do you handle it? And uh, same thing can be said for gender, male, female as well. And and so I know that if I ask someone in that church in the congregation when I go you know visit uh, or they come see me, uh, it's very unlikely they're going to say no to me. And uh, so I'm very, very conscious of how I uh, exercise my power, um, very careful and not creating situations where I, I know they'll say yes to me very quickly. And um, so the answer is uh, you do it very carefully and thoughtfully and you really need to think about power because it really is about power. And I can say thing with many Asian cultures as well. Uh, many Eastern cultures as well. I mean, most, most parts of the world are much more respectful of authority than you know, 
uh, we would be here in the United States for sure. And uh, so that, that's, a, that's a very, very large issue. And I think you want to be, part, you want to be practicing hospitality as much as possible. Uh, uh, in New York, we don't trust anybody initially. And yet scripture says us, you know, don't neglect to show hospitality. You know, be hospitable without complaint. And, and just a setting aside a time to, to be with people really different from you, inviting them to your home is, is gigantic. Um, and I want to encourage you to do that and developing friendships with people really different from you and listening to them and uh, even sometimes imagining, as we did, uh, relocating to a neighborhood very different from what you're used to. And it's what Jesus did, you know, and not that everyone should or God's calling everyone to, but uh, it is something worth prayerfully considering. And um, and we take initiative to do that and, and uh, moving out of our comfort zone, much like Abraham. So listen, there's so much more I could say to it, but I hope this gives you some food for thought anyway. And remember, God will have a multicolored bride. It's a certainty at the end of history. Uh, whether we talk about oppression or hatred or indifference or evil or racism, it's, it's worldwide. And it seems like the majority of people don't even care. But I've got news for you. Don't despair. Uh, uh, demonic is not too powerful. God does win. And as it says in Revelations 5, 9, with your blood you purchased... Uh, people from every tongue, culture, tribe. And there will be a final supper of the Lamb. And God pursued this diversity at infinite cost, cost and uh, Jesus paid it all to make that a reality. And so may the Lord bless you and may you offer a taste of heaven through your relationships and your walk with Jesus. And and uh, just been great to be with you again. Let me invite you again to go check out the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. It's part of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash launch. Check it out. Check those skills out. And uh, may the Lord guide you in your unique journey of how you can be a gift and a blessing to the world around you. Uh, in Jesus' name, God bless you. Have a great day.